You know, uh, we're going through the book of Ecclesiastes and have been for some time. And we're going to, we're probably, I don't think it'll be like Hebrews last year, guys. I think we're probably going to finish up about June, July, maybe. And um, yeah, that's a, that's, it's been a good journey for me. I've learned so much. And I, and I hope that, uh, you know, um, as we've looked at it together, God's been able to, you know, teach us some things about life about our relationship with him, about wisdom, and, um, and uh, yeah, I've just been really blessed by the journey. So today, uh, we're going to be diving into Ecclesiastes 5, and particularly verses 1 to 7. So if you want to open up there, if you've got a Bible or a phone with you, uh, that'll be great uh, to follow along. And what's interesting about this passage is a little bit different to what we've seen so far. Um, it's the first time that this wise teacher, if you could imagine, maybe a setting similar to this, the, the teacher is, is there and he's got his students there, and, um, and this is the first time he actually addresses them personally. You know, up until this point, he's been talking about, um, uh, you know, life lessons that he's learned, things that he's seen and observed about the world and the way that that uh, plays in with, with who he knows God is, right? And what's wise to do and what's not wise to do in these things. But, but now, almost as though he's trying to really highlight a really central theme in the book, he starts using some personal language, right? You could imagine him looking in the eyes, and this is looking them in the eyes as he says these words. He says, guard your steps, guard your steps, when you go to the house of God. He hasn't used language like that yet. Guard your steps when you go to the house of God. Go near to listen rather than to offer the sacrifice of fools who do not know that they do wrong. Do not be quick with your mouth. Do not be hasty in your heart to utter anything before God. God is in heaven and you are on earth. So let your words be few. A dream comes when there are many cares and many words mark the speech of a fool. When you make a vow to God, do not delay to fulfill it. He has no pleasure in fools. Fulfill your vow. It is better not to make a vow than to make one and not fulfill it. Do not let your mouth lead you into sin. You can see this constant personal language. And do not protest to the temple messenger. My vow was a mistake. Why should God be angry at what you say and destroy the work of your hands? Much dreaming and many words are meaningless. Therefore, fear God. And there's, he finishes with that, um, that word hevel again, doesn't he? That word meaningless. You know, that word that just means this is, you know, this type of living is like just a puff of smoke. There's nothing to it. There's no meaning here. Don't go there is what he's saying. This is, to me, I read this verse as, I, as I'm reading through Ecclesiastes, studying it, I read these passages and these ones hit different for me for some reason. You know, it's just really personal language. <clears throat> and I think one of the biggest leaps we need to make in understanding the passage today is figuring out how much making a vow or an oath 
or a promise had to play, um, you know, in the lives of people who lived in ancient times. This was a part of everyday life, making vows. It doesn't take much reading of the Bible to see that this was a way of, um, you know, uh, creating a very important decision um, or, or, or an agreement with another person. This was part of relationships in ancient times. It was very much a part of the way life was lived. And if you're an upstanding, you know, um, person of integrity, this was a good and positive thing to do to say, hey, um, I'm going to make a vow with you. And this is a sure way of, of us making, you know, making sure that what we say um, will happen is actually going to happen. We're going to make good on our word. It's like making a promise with, with one another. And this, this is really not just a thing of ancient times either, right? Although we might not call it a vow now, now, nowadays, um, we come across all sorts of things that are like a vow. Fair enough, the marriage vows that we make, that, that's a vow. We still call them vows, but there's not too much outside of a formal wedding day that, that we would call a vow, Right, we we also have agreements like, well, let's shake on it. You know, you've heard people say, it, let's shake on it, handshake, and that'll be like a solid deal, seal the deal. You know, if you were like my brother and I growing up, um, you know, when we were really little, we'd make a pinky promise. Right? I don't know. Did anyone ever do that? Or is that okay? I see a few hands. Thank you. May I was thinking, oh no. I'm the only one. No, but we used to make pinky promises, right? And um, upon reflection, a pinky promise is just like a really weak handshake and probably, probably showed how, uh, how trivial our vows were to each other. But we, it was our way of ensuring, uh, do you actually mean what you're saying? Did, did mum really say that? I pinky promise. She said it. It's going to happen. You know, this sort of thing. You better not let me down. Let's pinky promise. You know, we, we would have done, done this all the time. And so it was a way of just pledging, you know, yes, this is, this is, this is it. I'm, I'm making a promise. I'm going to come good on my word to you, you know. And um, the amount of times that failed between my brother and I, you know, it's a funny thing. But anyway, this passage in Ecclesiastes, the wise teacher, he's not just talking about relationships with one another today, but he's particularly talking about the context of worship. It started out as you, you know, uh, guard your steps as you go to the house of the Lord. Watch what you say in that, in that context of your relationship with God. And we're going to talk about both today, right? Because both are important. So there are many times throughout the Bible that we see people making vows and covenants, not just with each other, but also between themselves and God. And God actually makes vows and covenants with, with his people too, right? The most, you know, very common one is, I will never flood the earth again. You know, that's, you know, these sorts of examples come up. And so um, this passage here in Ecclesiastes is, is addressing the very interaction that people would have with God in making a vow with him. And this was actually part of um, the normal practice of worship in the temple in the Old Testament. Um, one, one could go to the temple for worship and they could make a vow or a pledge to God, right, in worship to him. I'm going to do a particular thing. I'm going to give a particular gift and, um, and they, wouldn't, they could almost say, I'm going to do this in advance. <laughs> this was part of what they would do. And the Levite or the priest on duty in the temple would write down that vow and maybe even write down a due date for when this person would make good on their word. And, um, and they would be required to make good on their promise. And I suppose the hope of many worshippers was that in making their faithful pledge, God's blessing would be invoked in their life. 
right? Because this was the, this was the, the, the thought of um, worshipping God in, in that system was, I do this so that God will not do this or so that God will do this for me, you know? This was the sort of context of that, that uh, system. They did these things so that God might be moved to act on their behalf because of the pledge that they've made. But the issue that was going on, and this is the issue that the wise teacher of Ecclesiastes is addressing and he's warning against, was that there was a sacrifice of fools being made in the temple. His warning to his students was to be wary. When you go to the house of God, intending to make a vow to him, he says, don't be quick with your mouth. Be careful what vow you're going to make. Don't be hasty with your heart. Before you even think about opening your mouth and promising something to God, go near to him with your ears open. You know, I think I, I'm sure I had a teacher who used to say, you know, you've got two ears, one mouth, use them, you know, in that proportion, <laughs> you know, that sort of thing. Go, he's saying, go near first to listen. Too many people, he's kind of saying, too many people are making a vow that they cannot fulfill. And he's trying to share wisdom with his students in saying too many people are approaching God with carelessness, forgetting that he is in heaven, we are on earth. He is the creator, we are his created. And the wise teacher is saying it's not how it's supposed to be that we would get caught up in making a promise, that we would be flippant with our interactions with God, making a show of I'm going to pledge this, I'm going to do this to you, God. And, you know, there was some aspect in which it wasn't just asking God to act, but it may have just been, oh, yeah, let's, let's say I'm going to do this, and, gee, that'll be a, that'll be a pretty good-looking vow. You know, people will think, wow, that person's going to give that much, their best bull, you know, this sort of thing. So there was this, like, religious um, superiority stuff going on as well. And he says, this is actually not how it's supposed to be. Right? You can't do that, and then when the temple messenger comes on due date and says, hey, I thought you said you were going to do this. And well, actually, it was a mistake. He's like, that's wrong. That's not how interaction with God was supposed to be. The unfortunate trend was that foolish people would cycle through foolish vows and pledges to God in order to try and get God moving in their life or in order to make out as though they were close to God and going to be uh, doing amazing things. And, and their hope was that they would act, it would actually provide success for them in their life. Right? Maybe if I do the right things and show that I'm going to give to God, maybe I'll be able to sort of trick God into blessing me. <clears throat> My life might get better. But we know, and the wise teacher says, you can't manipulate God in that way. Right? There's a better way to approach God. You don't even have to say anything. Just go near and listen. Remind yourself of who he is. Create a God in heaven. You know, in the, for, for us as Christians, oh, we've got some visitors at church today. For us as, uh, thank you guys. For us as Christians, you know, um, he's not just a creator God in heaven, but he's the, he's the one who is uh, living inside of us, Right? When we enter into the new covenant context, he's living inside of us. You can't manipulate God. You can't trick him. He already knows everything that's going on. You know, there's a better way to go. And, and, and think through the way you want to approach your relationship with your loving father, your relationship with the God who sent his son to die for you. 
We don't even really have to say a word at that point. Today, we are going to keep moving ourselves towards an application of um, what, 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 I'm, what I'm hoping to get to is that the truth matters. And we're going to look at Jesus' teaching on that. In, in the New, New Testament, there's a couple of times Jesus talks about vows and particularly relationship with one another. We're getting to an application of, you know, just, just be truthful. You know, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, right? And we're subscribing to him and, and our lives should be examples of truth. So we're getting there. But it might also be another little facet of um, teaching here too that we, could, that we could apply. It'll do no harm to ourselves in, in taking time in our lives to approach God with our ears open and our mouths shut. That's another thing I'm sure a teacher has said to me many times. Ears open, mouths shut, you know? And that, that I think, it's not this sort of um, old... Uh, you know, um, a religious way of approaching God. No, this is a very meaningful, worthwhile, good Christian pack, good Christian practice for us to do. It's a good spiritual discipline. Regularly make time in our lives to sit, find a silent space, find some some place. Ten minutes, if you can. Yeah, maybe just do it once this week. We could just say, hey, let's try this once this week. We're going to find a silent space for 10 minutes and I'm going to just listen to God. I'm not even going to utter a word. I don't even have to read a Bible passage. You can do that if you want, but sit in absolute silence and just focus on God. Focus on Jesus. Ask him to, uh, to, to speak to you for the next 10 minutes. And hey, even better if we could make that a regular practice in our lives. And I can, I can assure you, and I think what the wise teacher is saying is that approach to God will do far more for you in your relationship with him than trying to pledge a vow, trying to say, I'll do this for you, God. God, I need you to help me here. Can you, if you help me here, I'll go and I'll, I'll make sure I do this and I'll, and I'll, and I'll you know, come to church next week and I'll serve on this roster or whatever. It's these silly religious things that, you know, fair enough, we have to do those things. But um, that stuff is not the way you connect with God. Find a space. What he'll do in that quiet place is just so, so much more valuable than anything we could try and invoke in our own strength or power or in in our own show of how close we are to God. And so... um. I think just with that part of the application today, God is ready to speak. And are we ready to listen? So let's move on from there. We're going to jump into the New Testament, into Jesus' teaching. And one of the things we find as we get to Jesus' day was that the vows were continuing to be made, right? This was rich, rich part of um, Jewish Jewish uh, history was these vows that went on and, and they were too often being used for the sake of being able to make corruption and deceit happen within relationships. This is what was happening when we got to Jesus' day. Integrity and truthfulness were not being valued. And sadder than this was that some of the religious teaching of the day was making matters worse than better, right? We, there, it got to this point where there was some nuances being made in the way you could make your vow so that you could actually get away with lying and maybe the other person didn't know it. It's kind of like crossing your fingers behind your back. You know, I did that a few times when I was making the pinky promise with my brother. It's kind of like doing that, right? 
what was happening was that your vow, your promise that you were making with, with someone else was only binding if you swore by the right things, right? And sometimes that got a little bit confusing, right? And Jesus addresses this because, because he talks about, well, if you swore by the temple or the gold of the temple, it meant different things, you know, and, and this was not biblical. This was just the religious teachers sprouting this stuff off today. Oh, but actually, I didn't swear by the altar. I swear by, you know, the thing on the altar. Or, you know, this sort of stuff was going on. So this is what Jesus says. This is his response to this type of dishonesty. In Matthew 23, verse 16, he says, Woe to you, blind guides. You say, if anyone swears by the temple, it means nothing. But anyone who swears by the gold of the temple is bound by that oath. You blind fools, which is greater, the gold or the temple that makes the gold sacred? You also say if anyone swears by the altar, it means nothing. But anyone who swears by the gift on the altar is bound by that oath. You blind men, which is greater, the gift or the altar that makes the gift sacred? Therefore, anyone who swears by the altar swears by it and by everything on it. And anyone who swears by the temple swears by it and by the one who dwells in it. And anyone who swears by heaven swears by God's throne and by the one who sits on it. The swearing of oaths and the making of vows had degenerated, right? It had become this terrible system where you could get away with lying and the other person didn't know about it. And at that point, we're in some serious trouble, some, some, some bad places, People were making pinky promises with each other and crossing their fingers behind their back. They never had any intention on making good with their word. And we can go to Jesus' teaching out of the Sermon on the Mount as well, that section on oaths. And he says this in Matthew 5. You have heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not break your oath, but fulfill to the Lord the vows you have made. That sounds like the wise teacher. He's saying, hey, if you're going to make a vow, you better fulfill it. There's very serious consequences if you don't. But I tell you, do not swear an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is God's throne, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head, for you cannot make even one hair white or black. Some of us can't even make any hair. <laughs> Sorry, bad joke, dad joke. And all you need to say is simply yes or no. All you need to say is simply yes or no. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. So Jesus' final word on the matter of making vows or promises or covenants or pinky promises is that we shouldn't even need to seal a deal. It shouldn't even need to be an extra system. He says, when we start applying these little nuances and things, he says, that's just wrong. It's not how it should be, right? Truth is just supposed to be truth. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. And that's the end of the deal, right? He says, in fact, you shouldn't even swear by anything at all. He says, let's do away with this whole broken, messed up system. Sure, it started out as a good system. It was, it was intended for good, but it's been taken by broken people and it's been messed up. And I'm sure many of us have probably experienced some of that in our own lives. You know, vows have been made that have been broken. We've been through things in relationships, in our relationship with God, where maybe the truth uh, hasn't been upheld and, and dishonesty has hurt us. 
And maybe we've even hurt others. And today it's an opportunity to say, you know what? This is not what Jesus asked of us. This wasn't the life he created me to live. It's not the life he asked me to, to, to um, or, or not the relationship that he asked me to live out with others either. And we get an opportunity to redeem this, this problem, you know, because Jesus uh, says some pretty amazing words uh, when he's brought before Pilate, right? He's been arrested. He's about to be crucified. He's brought before Pilate. And it says in John 18, verse 37, Pilate's trying to figure out who he is. He's like, who are you? Are you really the king of the Jews? This sort of thing. And he gets this point, oh, you are a king. And Jesus says, the reason I was born and came into the world is to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. What an amazing connection that is to that idea of approaching God, listening to him, opening our ears, keeping our mouths shut and saying, you know what, actually, um, Jesus, I think I want to be on your side. I want to be on the side of truth. And today, as we make a response, we get to say, I'm going to take time to listen to the one who testifies to the truth, to the one whose life is truth, to the one who is perfect, to the one who can actually fill the gap where I've been dishonest, to the one who can shower me with grace and say, yep, this is actually the life I want for you. I want you to have a truthful life. And there's actually pain in carrying dishonesty. (laughs) You know, there's a burden in carrying something that's not true and trying to cover up that lie. That's not the life Jesus died for when he went to the cross. And so today we get opportunity to take that burden off as well, to be completely honest before God, you know, as though he doesn't already know. (laughs) And maybe... Some of us might even need to take a really difficult journey of maybe later today, as, with, as God leads you, there might be someone in your life you haven't been completely honest with, you know, and uh, you might like to, God might prompt you now just to call them up, meet with them or however it be and just say, you know what, I haven't been honest. I have my fingers crossed behind my back. And that's not the life God asked me to live. And I want to be honest with you. And that's a difficult journey too. And so I want to pray about these things because we get opportunity to respond. We're going to share in communion together. And um, what I want us to do as we come is to take time to listen to Jesus and to say, "I'm, I'm on your side, Jesus. This is a way of saying, you know, when we share in the blood and the bread, it's it's a way of saying, Jesus. I want to be on the side of truth in my life. I want to be able to follow you, the one who is truth. 